0: Welcome to episode number 35 of the Driving You Crazy podcast. By this age, we should have a wife, a couple of kids running around the house that's uh, circled by a white picket fence.
1: I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor, Jason Looper. We already get made fun of from taping this show in a small little booth where we have nothing to do but stare at each other. Now you're talking about kids and a picket fence. Come on, man. Well, we're 35 now. That's true. I'm I'm pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters.
0: Uh, You know, I've actually been a part time pedestrian advocate. Uh, this past week, because I've been walking from here over to the Colorado Supreme Court Law Library and also to the Denver Public Library. You uh, walk
1: to the public library from here? Yes, from Respect. here. It's a nice little from, walk. That's nearly a
0: mile. It's, it is? Yeah. Both ways or one way? One way. Huh. I can tell you one thing for sure, though. The sidewalks, uh, for the most part, were pretty dirty and disgusting. Um, lots and lots of people chewing gum, apparently, and then choosing to spit it out on the sidewalk As there are lots of gum spots all over the sidewalks. And there were some other fluids that were dried and some sticky that I had to avoid. Uh, Lots and lots of ugliness. Not every section of sidewalk I used were horrible. But a lot of them were. A lot of them were just awful. One spot I couldn't believe is there's an alcove. If you're walking down 14th from Broadway, right next to the Denver Public Library, it's like a little alcove. They have like these these pole, these posts, right? And there's like a little space that's maybe what three feet, two feet. Yep. And I think that's where all the homeless people are doing their business because there was some ugliness left in in that area.
1: What's frustrating about that is that like there's no need to pee outside. The library is there. Like and you I, can just and when go I w- into the library,
0: and I saw lots of that too. Because when I went into the library, the first thing, all right. So I, uh, first of all, the library doesn't open till ten o'clock in the morning. Can we start there? Ten o'clock in the morning? They
1: they ha- it's a volunteer library, <sighs> right? I mean, no, that's what, what do you mean about? a
0: volunteer library?
1: They can't afford to pay people. <laughs> like that's not something this city's willing really to invest in.
0: Public library. I'm sure there's paid people there. There's people that show up there every
1: day for paychecks, right? A few, but I think the majority of the staff probably is volunteer-based. Well, they agree can't volunteer at 9 a.m.? Here's the thing. it's like The library should be the jewelier City. You go to the Boston Public Library. It's gorgeous. You go to New York City. Same thing. But here in Denver, it feels like the library is more of a meeting spot for people who want to use the internet to do job applications and drug addicts. Yes. because All right. So j- Speaking of that,
0: so I get over there at 9.30, and there's no point in me walking back here and then walking back over there. So I'm over there stuck. So I'm sitting on the bench, and I'm... I'm flipping through some news stuff, right? And then, so it opens up at 10 o'clock. I swear, I, the doors open. Ah, there goes the doors. And I walk in. I, I'm probably the second elevator r- ride up because I have to go to the fifth floor for this uh, it, pro- research project I'm doing. Right. So I get up there, and, I, and, and because I've been outside for the last 45 minutes, I, I had to go use the restroom. So I go in there, and there was already somebody in there. In one of the stalls, I could see the backpack there, right under the thing there. Untold ugliness was happening as I, as, as I was uh, you know, doing my thing, and then I, I, I left. Then I went back the other day, and again, I saw a couple of people. They were staring at me weird for some reason, but they were going right to the bathroom. That's true.
1: Well, and we're in a generation now where people really embrace thriftiness, and people want to go to libraries and really enjoy going to libraries, I believe, personally. And it's just wasted. I mean, it's, nobody would want to go to the Denver Public Library once they step inside and they realize what the client You know, like. You know the should be the most well-paid job in the city? Not the mayor, not the governor,
0: not any of those people like that, not the city attorney. It should be the people, the custodial staff at the Denver Public Library that have to clean up those bathrooms. Yep. They should be paid $150,000 a year for the ugliness
1: that they have to deal with. It's I can't true. imagine. It's true. Uh, unrelated, um, pedestrian advocate, right? It's a phrase we toss around a bit on this podcast. And obviously there's a lot of pedestrian people and bike people in this city. Where are the car advocates? Am I a car advocate? I, I mean, you are the only car advocate I can think of, realistically. I mean, I guess you could, you could qualify a car group or, like, the Beamer groups or the Mini Cooper groups as, like, car advocates, but that's kind of a niche thing. They're not advocating for the expansion of I-70 or anything. They just like cars. I don't think there's anybody out there who's really advocating to rebuild the vehicle infrastructure in this city in the same way that people are advocating to rebuild sidewalks and rebuild bike lanes. Because it's already
0: there. Like 78, 80 percent, whatever, isn't it something like that? Percent of everybody drive around town. So it's they are not the minority. So I don't need to – I wish – I guess you only hear about people advocating for driving when they hear of uh, how the city is, again, taking another uh, street and making it into a two-way street. Or taking another street and putting a bike lane on it and reducing another lane. Um, that's when you hear
1: about it. That's, that's what torques me off. Well, and the thing is, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's cute, okay, that we're going to build all these bike lanes and we're going to rebuild pedestrian infrastructure. And I am the first person who will tell you that we need better sidewalks in this city yes. because there are so many places that are just dirt paths instead of sidewalks. But let's be realistic here. How many people are you really going to get to get out of their cars and walk everywhere or bike anywhere now? None. If you got to run four errands in one day and you want to get it done in less than two hours, are you really going to bike or walk or take a bus in no. between them? There you go. The reason that people, so many people walk in New York
0: City is, one, their subway system is pretty extensive. Two, it it costs so much money to try to park anything in anywhere in Manhattan. Uh, It is way too expensive to try to now drive into Manhattan. It is way too congested. So it, it makes it easier to walk around Manhattan than it does to try to drive in and around Manhattan. And that's the only way you can get a city to really start walking. Now, here in Denver, there are a fair amount of people that walk because they live downtown. And there's there's one of the few cities that, that I've said for the last 25 years being here is that there are people that want to live in the downtown core. Yep. There's a lot of cities where you don't want to live in the downtown core, but this is a different kind of place. And so that obviously brings a lot of pedestrians, and then that infrastructure should have been keeping up, but it hasn't up to this point. Absolutely.
1: Well, and to your point, I, people want to live downtown, and I think the city, whether they'd say this publicly or not, wants to make it such a pain to drive that nobody drives here anymore. Right. That, to me, appears to be the end game, and I would love to hear from a city planner who feels otherwise. It is the same
0: theory of what you tax, you get less of. What you incentivize, you get more of. You're taxing the drivers by reducing their lanes. You're incentivizing the pedestrian and bicyclist by giving them lanes. Therefore, you're going to get more bicyclists and pedestrians and fewer people wanting to drive around because it makes it so frustrating when you're stuck in traffic now on streets where it never used to be that bad, ever, in across downtown Denver. Mm -hmm. Ever. It was never this way. And now, and I was reading through some of these, uh, these old, uh, Denver laws and and that sort of thing, and I, I saw actually in some of these old driver handbooks where twentieth, where it said actually twentieth Street and, or twentieth Avenue and nineteenth Avenue between Park Avenue and Broadway, which they're turning now into two way streets, were designated as one way streets. And so I, I I was just thinking back from the nineteen thirties when it started, and now here it is twenty seventeen and. They are wiping it right off the book, and
1: they're going their own way. It's sad. Interesting. It, it's it. I would love to see somebody with actual vision, and I don't know if the guy that we have in office right now is that person. No.
0: And by the way, I've had several people come up to me recently wanting to talk to you about your pronunciation of the word lasso. How you say lasso. Lasso. Oh, lasso. Is that the French pronunciation? <laughs> Why you got to attack the French? or <laughs> right, is it your italian pronunciation it's australian oh it's australian yeah that's
1: the australian french canadian
0: lasso lasso yeah new zealand accent is that what it is that kiwi yeah no. nice lasso i seriously you've never seen a western have you ever have you ever seen a john wayne movie no ever seen a grown man naked <laughs> do you like gladiator movies
1: no no my dad liked westerns. <laughs> Apparently you've never heard of a lasso? I watched Hamburger Hill in college. Does that count as a western? No. And of course not. If John Wayne was in it, it doesn't count.
0: Or Clint Eastwood. Good, Bad, and the Ugly? Never, never seen that one? No. Are you kidding me? We've been over this. I have a long there list of movies. There are two kinds of people in this world, my friends. Those with loaded guns and those who
1: dig. You Dig. You need to replace that in the edit room with the actual quote from the movie.
0: Will I get sued for that?
1: No. Okay. It's six seconds. Fair use. Well,
0: it is the middle of July and it's hot outside. How hot? Too hot. Too hot for my car That's for sure. One of the things that my car has that I absolutely love is what I call the car it, it it's basically that little car thermometer, right? Lisa Hidalgo is always telling me that the carmometer is not accurate, and I tell her it's better than her fancy little weather-predicting machines that she has over there in that weather center. I thought about inviting her on this program today, but I didn't want to hear her incensate whining on and on and on about how she hates and doesn't believe in the carmometer. She's right. I know it takes the temperature somewhere in the front of the car, but I have no idea exactly where it measures it, but it works fine for me, and I love it. I love it. I just love it. Well, the Weather Channel looked at the accuracy of the thermometer, and they conclude, just like what Lisa says, that it's terrible. I don't believe it. I still do not believe it. I still think they're pretty accurate. The Weather Channel says that sometimes outside car thermometers are so inaccurate that they would be better at being a random number generator. Well, that's pretty rude. That seems a little out of bounds, Weather Channel. That's rude! Nobody wants to download your crappy
1: app anyway, uh, Weather Channel.
0: Yeah, a random number generator. Get out of here. They say these thermometers are basically the worst feature of the car next to the car's infotainment system. Now take that back. What a horrible thing to say. The car can hear you. Honestly, they're hurting me with these hateful words right now. The Weather Channel says the issue is that they're not actual thermometers. They're actually thermistors. I'm probably not even saying that word right, but I think that's what it is. It's, It's like a... Resistor thermometer thing. Most commonly, the the, the temperature is measured with a mercury thermometer, right? The liquid mercury inside the thermometer expands and rises a certain value when heat is added and contracts and falls to a lower value when heat is removed. A thermistor, it measures the change in electrical current as a result of heat added or removed from the area. The problem is with your car's thermistor itself, in fact, the thermistors are typically accurate. The problem is not with your car's thermistor itself. In fact, they are actually pretty accurate, not to mention small and cheap to make. The real problem is where the thermistor is located on your car. Most automakers place it in the front, on the, right there behind the grill, right there next to the engine that's throwing out a lot of heat. And this location exposes the instrument's readings to th- that heat that's generated from the road surface and from the sun And so that's why they say it can be so far off the real temperature. I mean, roadways are really good absorbers of incoming solar radiation. Just try to walk on some asphalt in the summertime barefoot. (laughs) Or don't. Or don't. don't. Yeah, because you'll burn your feet right off. Don't call us when
1: you do that. Yeah.
0: So the temperatures over the blacktop are obviously higher than over a grassy or shaded surface. Therefore, the temperature of your car's thermistor is recording the warmer temperatures over the roadway, which has been heated by the sun. And this can be 10 or more degrees, they say, warmer than the actual air temperature, which is measured at about six and a half feet above a grassy surface, typically at an airport. Thank you, Mr. Meteorologist. (laughs) So what, I have to drive to the airport now to find the actual perfect temperature? I'm not going to do that! Anyway, the Weather Channel says the car thermistors provide a better representation of nighttime temperatures when the heating from the sun is lost. They're also more accurate on a cloudy day for the same reason, as well as when traveling at higher speeds and not sitting in standstill traffic. While this inaccuracy is typically not a big deal, it can become a problem during the winter. Near freezing temperatures could mean the difference between wet roads and black ice, but if your car is telling you it's 34 degrees, it may actually be at or or below freezing Because, let's say, it's off by a few degrees. And if you're interested in seeing the actual air temperature, then you can download our app and find it at your fingertips. No, I can't. Because
1: their apps, well.
0: (laughs) Thanks anyway. I'll stick with my carmometer, you crazy weather channel people. Thank you very much.
1: Driving you crazy. Brought to you by the Storm Shield app. (laughs)
0: You can download that at any time, can't you? Uh, On the Apple App Store
1: and on Google Play. Does it cost money? It it costs a small fee, but it'll tell you when storms are coming in your neighborhood. Oh, good. According to your GPS location.
0: I don't care what they say. I don't care what any of these people say. They are all dead to me now. All I can say is because Lisa is not here, she's not here to defend herself or or chastise me and and, and berate me and belittle me for my love of the carmometer. Long live the carmometer. Long live the carmometer! All right. I will not let it go. <laughs> I, I like taking pictures of it, too, and then posting that on you know, Twitter what, or Instagram.
1: That's what all my Vegas friends do. And then, you, and then you're like, but the temperature wasn't 130 degrees in Las Vegas today. Oh, yes, it crazy. was. If it was on the carmometer, <laughs> it sure was. I mean, hail to the carmometer, then.
0: Because that's what it felt like right at your car at that moment. Because you know what? The temperature is just what you feel like when you're under that sun.
1: Right? Am I, do I have a, a little bit of a point? I think you do. If you watch some of our competition, you would think that the temperature is just whatever random number they generate. So. Yeah, exactly.
0: There's your random number generator right there down Spear Boulevard. What are they, 400? Sp- I don't know what they are, but. I, <laughs> I wasn't going to call it. Wildly an address, inaccurate. Seriously. Anyway. Well, remember that story from China where they were creating that person transport thing that would run on the tracks in the road and it would straddle cars under it, right? The Chinese traffic standing bus thing. Do you remember that thing? I do,
1: yeah. Well,
0: that thing, it looked like it was actually riding over traffic as it was this giant moving tunnel that would carry passengers over the stop traffic. Well, it it was an odd-looking thing that seemed a bit weird to actually work, and it turns out it was bogus after all. And now 32 people have been arrested in their role in creating it and supposedly scamming a lot of people out of money. The transit-elevated bus idea fascinated the public. It was shared over Facebook. I shared it on my Facebook page. The transport thing was expected to carry 1,200 passengers in this elevated tram that ran on these tracks over two lanes of traffic while traffic ran under it. But recently, Chinese news media and many investors started asking questions, as they do because a lot of money is involved, about the company behind the project. The company was promoting the reliability of investing in a public-private partnership like this bus initiative, and they promised annual returns of up to 12% And that's after investors plunked down a minimum buy-in of $150,000. It was reported that the company raised over a billion dollars. That's a lot of raising money. While the vehicle did roll up and down the road a few times, they actually built something. It had... Uh, since been abandoned in the middle of the street. In December, CNN reported that it had been sitting this thing on the test tracks for months, gathering dust and causing traffic jams. And then when CNN sent its reporters to investigate, all they discovered was a, quote, hulking eyesore, unquote, (laughs) that was causing traffic rather than shuttling passengers above it. A New York Times reporter who visited the company's office in September saw walls lined with Photographs of the owner with celebrities and entrepreneurs and local officials and a half a dozen investors stopped by in over an hour while that reporter was there. Some, they say, left with gifts and grocery bags full of cash. That doesn't sound like a scam to me. The New York Times reported that much of the project seemed sketchy upon closer inspection and construction apparently completely rushed, and the tram itself looked like it had very basic components, such as a home air conditioner unit stuck into the top of it. Chinese media continually blasted the project with one op-ed in the Beijing News, saying it was nothing more than a trick to attract investors. It's too bad this bustling was a fake. I thought it was pretty neat. It looked cool. It would have been an interesting concept. I don't know how it would have done in the snow.
1: Shame on the media. Shame on the news media for posting this clickbait without doing any actual vetting of what it actually was. This is life-size clickbait. This is a fake project. They never had any actual chance of getting off the ground. And CNN and New York Times and everybody else and their mother decided they were going to post an article about it to try to drive traffic to the website, and this thing didn't have any juice behind it. This is why we shouldn't be covering graduate student projects. This is all bull****. <sighs> and now we're explicit.
0: Well, I can go bleep that out. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's... Um... Yeah, okay. Well, I I still think these graduate student projects that we talked about with that hyper what was it? The Hyperloop hotel.
1: The Hyperloop hotel. I, I still
0: think the Hyperloop hotel is a brilliant idea. That makes one of us. That's a- <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't think this was necessarily a clickbait story even though it kind of turned out to be that way. I think these investor people didn't that was a that was their way to make a lot of money and then and and then they thought they were just going to be able to get away with it and they didn't. I mean, a billion. that's a billion dollars. And when you start plunking down $150,000, that's a lot of money. What was the Barnum & Bailey quote about a fool and his money? Or soon parted. Yep. There you have it. <laughs> and speaking of the Hyperloop Hotel and the Hyperloop, the Hyperloop is already old. We don't even need to do the Hyperloop anymore, Joseph. It was so 20 minutes ago. <laughs> because you know what? We now have the Hyperchariot. What is the Hyperchariot, you ask? What's the Hyper Chariot, Jason? Well, the Hyper Chariot is supposed to go 400 miles in eight minutes. The Hyper Chariot uses these pods, and they, they use roller coaster type technology, they say, and it's going to be able to travel up to 4,000 miles an hour. That's a lot better than 700 miles an hour for the very slow hyperloop. That would make the scenery a bit blurry, wouldn't it, as it goes by? Can you survive going 4,000 miles an hour? I don't know. Uh, I guess we're going to find out. Now, they say these car-sized pods, which can hold up to six people, would travel through airless, ultra-high-performance concrete tubes using high-grade vacuum technology to travel at five times the speed of sound. Now, the Hyperloop is like a semi-vacuum, and they carry more people, and it's not concrete. The tubes, they say, will be lined with solar panels and would use cryogenically chilled superconductors to create quantum levitation. That sentence right there, all pops and clicks. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a graduate student's project. Uh, of course, you'll have to wait over 20 years to ride in the Hyperchariot. The company claims its pods will be fully operational by 2040. And there are currently plans for a proof-of-concept demonstrator called the Velocitator, costing between $75 million and a $100 million to be unveiled in 2021. According to the Hyperchariot, their train will be lighter, faster, and more efficient than the Hyperloop, and the Hyperchariot would use smaller 400-pound pods for transport, while the Hyperloop weighs 20 tons and is more like a bus. Hyperchariot pods would travel through concrete tubes and will interchange like cars on a freeway network, while the Hyperloop would travel through a steel tube on a single track. Hyperchariot also plans for their tubes to be smaller at about five feet wide, whereas the Hyperloop tubes are the width of a street. The company also isn't nervous if the Hyperloop rolls out first, they say. Those so there's your differences between the loop and the chariot. Okay. Based in Santa Monica, the company plans on operating worldwide. They're currently scouting locations for three-mile section, 400-mile-an-hour velocitator demonstration area in various places around the country. They wanna, they're looking at Las Vegas, and they're also looking at Medley, Florida. I have no idea where Medley, Florida is. They say the plan is to be built in every country and every state and use the same diameter tubes and the same magnetic levitation and an interchangeable system that can then connect the whole world.
1: I don't understand why these people don't ever go to, like, you know, the, the real middle of nowhere for some of these projects. I mean, Las Vegas is nice, and there's plenty of empty desert around Las Vegas, but why not use one of the big old square states that doesn't have anything in it for one of these tests?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of space there in uh, parts of Utah. Montana. New Mexico. There you go. Engineer and USC professor James Moore, he says he's not so sure a transport system could work in the U.S. due to the high cost, which Hyper Chariot estimates to be $25 million Per mile. By comparison, the hyperloop is supposed to cost sixty four million dollars a mile. Moore was also dubious that a terrestrial transportation system offering speeds of four thousand miles an hour will exist in twenty-two years from now. He also believes such a system would also offer no survivability if something were to go wrong and would effectively have to be error proof. Yeah, I wouldn't think there'd be much of a person left at uh a crash, right. When you, when you crash at 100 miles an hour, there's very little left.
1: Imagine what would be left at 4,000 miles an hour. So to recap, the company that wants to spend $25 million per mile to build infrastructure says that their thing is going to work. And the guy who actually knows what he's talking about, who teaches at the University of Southern California, says, uh-uh. The hyperchariot stated that human error would be eliminated by everything being automated
0: via a computer. Because because computers are yeah, it's the most
1: bananas argument.
0: Com- <laughs> computers don't make mistakes; humans do. Hopefully, they won't use Windows. The company also plans because yeah, that's all you need. It's like that you know your your hyper chariots going at four thousand miles an hour, and then you get the uh, pop up saying that please upgrade to Windows fifteen. Not
1: even the pop up; it just goes into the spinning blue wheel of death, and you're. Sitting... Well, you know what they do
0: now here at, at 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 Scripps. All of a sudden, I'm working on my computer. And then I get this pop-up that says, your computer's going to shut down in 15 minutes. You better save all your stuff because it's happening. I'm like, w- w- I have no choice over this matter. Mm-hmm. That's not good. The company also plans on only using the pods to transport cargo for at least a year until people are allowed on it. The company says we're focused on hiring the top engineers in the world and recognize that no customers will be entering 1,000 mile an hour plus tube lines before everything has been rigorously tested and insured for use. Our technology eliminates close to 99% of the reasons that we have accidents today. There are no moving parts, so we're dramatically reducing chance of mechanical failure. What about a crack in the concrete? And as to whether or not the hyper chariot transports will be rolling out in twenty two years from now, the company says you don't get there unless you set the goal. Good, why not? Sure. Next year some jackballs say they're gonna create some new hyper whatever to go ten thousand miles an hour, I'm sure. Get you to from Miami to Seattle in four minutes. Right?
1: It's ridiculous. I mean, it's all ridiculous. I love right? the
0: idea. The idea is great. I mean, imagine moving transport, moving stuff from
1: one part of the country to the other in, in ten or fifteen minutes. I mean, the Jetsons was great too, but nobody's promised me my little hover hover ship yet. Actually, I
0: was listening to uh, this guy, this uh, this uh, guy who owns this trucking company, basically, and he says that right now they, it is so hard to find over the road truckers. That it would be so beneficial to the United States economy to have autonomous trucks. And what you would have is, let's say, you would have one driver, one of their experienced drivers, controlling, let's say, five trucks remotely. And then those five trucks are going somewhere, and that one driver is controlling them, and then you are increasing capacity on our roadways and uh,
1: transport around the country dramatically. It's true. I mean, the other thing we could do is just put people to work and uh, and train them to be over-the-road truckers. Uh, The cost of getting a CDL is very high right now. There are a
0: lot of those jobs available, too. But a lot of those guys, they are on the road for 200 nights a year, and they don't want to be away from their family that's why it's easier to get the local drivers
1: it's true it's it's good money though man it I'm is telling really you, good like money. and a lot of people who are struggling for a job right now you get that cdl you get to work and you know you're making a decent income in no time well it's time for a
0: quick break coming up when the bell on the bus breaks how do you get the driver to stop at your stop one person came up with a surefire way to make sure the driver knows when someone wanted to get off that story and much much more as the driving You crazy podcast continues
1: I'm Amanda Del Castillo, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber.
0: We're informative. We're first on the scene with a lot of breaking news in the morning. Uh, we're very accurate with our information that we get and pass on to the viewers. Uh, we have a lot of drunk drivers out there that we're dealing with. Um, I've seen people come northbound on Broadway, as we're, and it's a one-way. Uh, it's a lot of danger out there in the middle of the night. The toughest part of the job out there is trying to get accurate information and trying to build a rapport with a lot of law enforcement agencies so we get the accurate information.
1: Daryl Orr, only on Denver 7. Denver 7 on the weekend is a great way to start your day. You get all of the news, the weather. We talk about what the weather's going to be like heading into your weekend plans, if it's going to affect it, if you want to head to the mountains. We have a good time, and we'd love for you to join us. Katie LaSalle, only on Denver 7.
0: Welcome back to the Driving You Crazy Podcast. I'm Jason Luber along with pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. That music right there makes me want to sit on the back patio, crack open an ice cold Corona Tecate. Actually, I kind of like those soul beers, those from Mexico. Those are delicious. I like margaritas. By the way, how's that whole uh, pedestrian advocate thing working out for you now? Uh, it's a much better title than
1: producer, I'll tell you that much. Have you started a website? I need to. I'm working on it. Working on it. Have you changed your business cards? haven't even ordered business cards. No? No.
0: <laughs> Probably should do that too, right? I, I think I need some new ones too because I still have the old ones where we have Azteca on the business cards.
1: Oh, I'm proud to be affiliated with Azteca. I just want to make sure that I get podcast host on there.
0: Oh, yeah. See, we need to put that on there. That's a, that's a good thing. I need to put that on there, the Instagram, the Facebook. The, should I just put all those different things on
1: there? It's actually a business sheet at this point.
0: Actually, what I did is I changed my uh, signature on my emails, and I have my uh, number there, and it just says text or call
1: instead of call because, I, honestly, that's the way a lot of people deal with business now. I need to take it one step further and just put please text because I'm not going to pick up the phone for you. Not you, just in general. How about just say
0: text only, no calls? There you go. Why don't you do that? Mm -hmm. Well, when you're on the bus, there's a little button or there's a cord usually that you pull to ring the driver when you want to get off at the next stop, right? So that's way the driver knows that that you're going to stop. Well, there was a bus in Nova Scotia, and the cord wasn't working. So someone decided to take one of those rubber chickens, and they taped it to one of the hand poles. So if you wanted to get off the bus, you would squeeze the chicken, and then you would hear this horrible sound. (laughs) Yeah, that, that that horrible sound. It sounded I think they were killing the chicken. They were definitely
1: executing the chicken.
0: <laughs> I think any bus driver would know right there that the bu- that the driver should stop because somebody is killing a chicken on his bus. Wow. I think that sound would make everybody want to get off the bus. Yes, it would. Uh much less pleasant than the ding of a normal ding or Yeah. What I would I would prefer either of those
1: to the sound of that chicken.
0: That's better than
1: if they used air horn, right? I love air horns. I feel like the air horns are one of the most criminally underutilized things in the country right now. I always like that uh, deal where they have the... The, the
0: picture, I, I see it on the internet all the time, I'm sure you've seen it too, where you take the air horn and you put it under somebody's seat so when they sit there it's supposed to go down and then have the air horn go off. and That's <laughs> not nice. No, be horrible, <laughs> wouldn't it? That would wake up the whole office. Uh, since you like transportation stories, you've probably heard of the New York City commuter traffic problems. The rail track work hell that's going on at Penn Station this summer. They call it the summer of hell, right? Well, the MTA chairman, Joe Lahota offered a solution he says, just go to work earlier. That's it. Just just come on, everybody. Just get up a little bit earlier. He said, quote, try to come in a little earlier or later if your job allows it, unquote. So nice. Such, such a good attitude. Just come on. Just get, in, just get up a little bit earlier. Why not? In an attempt to calm the thousands of beleaguered riders of the Long Island Railroad, Amtrak, and New York Transit Lines, will face long delays because of the repairs of the transit hub... He says, just get up a little bit earlier. Commuters quickly bashed LaHota for the statement, saying he should have more compassion. They should be handling this in a better way, said Long Islander Rich D, who planned to drive to work the rest of the summer. Riders on the affected lines will see a 30 to 45-minute delay to their commute and a 20% reduction in service through September 1st when the repairs are expected to conclude. I saw three reporters do a... uh, a, uh, a, you know, how long is it going to take to get to work? One was on a ferry, one was taking an alternate train, one was driving. The guy who took the ferry took two hours to get to work. The guy who took the who drove it was like an hour and twenty minutes, hour and a half, and then the person who took the trains was like an hour and
1: ten minutes. I mean, and it's shameful. And the problem is that uh, Joe, MTA chairman Joe, he's right. Because your employer does not care how you get to work; He just cares that you're there on time and that you leave when you're supposed to. Exactly. So you don't really have a choice other than to leave earlier.
0: Yeah, because you're a lot of the businesses
1: they they're, they're not here. Stay open. What they they're open when they're open. I mean, I'm blessed now that I know it's going to take me 20 minutes to walk to work. Period. End of discussion. That's just how long it's going to take. But when I was taking the bus to get to my college classes, my professor did not care if the if the bus that was that I took was there 15 minutes late. He did not care if I got caught in delays on the main road. It was, "Why are you here at nine o'clock or not?" Period. Yep.
0: Governor Andrew Cuomo said that all non-essential road construction would also be stopped in an effort to clear the roads a little bit more, and that uh, throughways would resort to cashless tolls to help speed traffic along. There, there really isn't much they can do, though. I mean, those repairs have to be done. They've had a lot of derailments, and that's part of the problem. Those tracks and those those. Uh, repairs just have to be done if i lived in new york i'd hate my life too so it's so funny though to listen to new yorkers whine. i love that what up new york i came across an article in the business insider titled there's convincing evidence that speed limits are way too slow it starts this way when lieutenant gary meegee of the michigan state police attends a meeting he sometimes asks the group how many of you broke the speed limit on your way here Hearing the question, you might assume that Gary is a particularly zealous police officer, but that's not the point of his question. He says the point of the question is that speeding and traffic safety have a small correlation. Over the past 12 years, Lieutenant McGee has increased the speed limit on nearly 400 of Michigan's roadways each time he or one of his officers hears from the community groups who complain that people already drive too fast. But Gary and his colleagues advocate for raising speed limits because they believe it makes roads safer. I also agree with that, and you'll see why here in a minute. Most speed limits are set so about 85% of drivers go at or below it. That's the national recognized method of setting speed limits. It's called the 85th percentile speed. Now, you might be thinking, why shouldn't everybody drive at or below the speed limit? The answer lies really in realizing that the speed limit, it's just basically a number on a sign and has very little influence on how fast people drive. In follow-up studies, after the DOT raises or lowers a speed limit, almost every time, the 85th percentile speed doesn't change. Years of observing traffic has shown engineers that as long as a cop car is not in sight, most people just simply drive at whatever speed they like. The speed drivers choose is influenced by laws and street signs, but more often than not, their speed is influenced by the weather. The number of intersections, the presence of of pedestrians and curves and not wanting to get into a crash. That's why traffic calming measures like narrowing streets, changing parking, changing curves, that sort of thing, changes driver behavior more than changing the speed limit on a sign. So if most drivers disregard speed limits, why bother even trying to set the right speed limit at all? One reason is that a minority of drivers do follow the speed limit, About 10% of drivers truly identify the speed limit on the sign and then drive at or below that limit. And since these are the slowest share of drivers, they really don't affect that 85th percentile speed, but they do impact the variance in driving speeds. This is important because, as noted in a U.S. Department of Transportation report, the potential for being involved in a crash is highest when traveling at speeds much lower or much higher than the majority of the drivers. So if every car sets its own cruise control at the same speed, the odds of a fender bender happening is pretty low. But when some drivers go 55 and other drivers go 85, the odds of a car colliding increases dramatically. That's why getting slow drivers to stick to the right lanes is so important to roadway safety. Now, we generally focus on speeders tailgating in the left lane as a likely cause of crashes, but a person driving under the speed limit in the left lane is just as dangerous And traffic engineers believe that the 85th percentile speed is the ideal speed limit because it leads to the least variability between driving speeds, and therefore the roads would be safer. When the speed limit is correctly set at the 85th percentile speed, the minority of drivers that do continuously follow speed limits are no longer driving much slower than the speed of traffic. So yet, the majority of highway agencies set speed limits Below the 85th percentile, that leads to over half of motorists who drive in technical violation of the speed limit laws. And states are officially in charge of setting their own speed limits, and locally, officials can come under pressure from parents and other safety conscious groups to lower the speed limits because that's what they think makes driving safer. Consistently, the 85th percentile loses out to the perception that fast roads are less safe. It's really a misconception. People think raising the speed limit 10 miles an hour will lead people to drive 10 miles an hour faster when really changing the limit has almost no impact on the speed of traffic. If someone could wave a wand and get every American to drive below 60 miles an hour, roads could be safer. But since law enforcement can't keep over half of Americans from speeding, putting a low number on a sign won't make the road safer. Fortunately, though, American roadways are safer than ever. With highway fatalities at historic lows, roads can be dangerous, but the perception of roads getting increasingly dangerous, is actually a false one. The other reason speed limits may remain low, which John Bowman, communication director of the National Motors Association, strongly insists on, is that cities and police departments use traffic citations as revenue-generating tools. As Bowman says, when speed limits are artificially low... It's
1: easier to give out citations and pull in revenue. It's also easier to not pull over the people that are really causing a problem. If the speed limit's 85, which it should be in some parts of Massachusetts on some of these highways where everybody's doing 80 miles an hour anyway. So if you set the speed limit at 85, then police are able to focus on the people who are going 98, not writing tickets to people who are going 66. The story from the Business Insider continues, due to concerns about such speed
0: traps, Missouri passed a law in the 1990s that capped the amount of a town's revenue that could come from traffic tickets. So in 2010, auditors discovered that Randolph, Missouri generated over 75% of its budget from traffic tickets. I think it's similar to our little town of uh, Lakeside over there on the west side of town here. The tiny town around 50 residents, which is located near several casinos, employed two full-time and eight part-time police officers, turning it into a speed trap poster child. Incidentally, this is um, how some, I think, other little towns up in the mountains also make a lot of revenue.
1: My hometown of Lindenville, Vermont, we, uh, our police department was behind on revenue for the fiscal year. And this was in, it wasn't the fiscal year, it was the actual year. And it was the end of the, our fall semester. So it was like the beginning of December. And they had to make up about $2,000 for the tickets. Everybody got a ticket that day. My friend got a ticket for making an illegal U-turn that was $287. $287, that
0: $287 for an illegal U-turn? They
1: just had to get the tickets written. And it was literally like two days that they decided to enforce traffic in this town. And the other 363 days, whatever. Unbelievable. But that, you,
0: we hear stories like that all the time. Now, figuring out how common the tactics used by that Randolph, Missouri's police department are around the country, it's difficult to find out. Each town or city makes its own decisions, which makes it difficult to know how comprehensively speeding tickets are being used as a revenue generator. Further, it's easy for police departments to defend pushing officers out there and do this enforcement and issue more tickets as a goal to further keep roads safer. Lieutenant McGee says that he believes speed traps are a big problem and counter a police officer's real role of altering dangerous behavior similar to your point. A large number of towns in Michigan ignored a state law to review their speed limits because when they wouldn't have to re- because then they wouldn't have to revise their own speed limits upwards allowing them to keep collecting ticket revenue on artificially low speed limits. Most people may drive at a reasonable rate, but is that speed low enough to accommodate bikers, protect kids at play, and make our cities more walkable? Lieutenant McGee says it may make parents feel better if the speed limit on their street is 25 instead of 35, but that sign won't make people drive any slower. He prefers speed limits that both allow people to drive at a safe speed legally and that realistically reflect traffic speeds. People shouldn't have a false sense of safety around roads, he says. Now, I do disagree with that to a point but i'll come back to that in just a minute he says though if people and politicians want to reduce road speeds and improve safety or make cities more pedestrian friendly there are a lot of other things you can do to reduce the number of lanes change the parking situation create wider bike paths and so on it's more expensive but unlike changing a number on a sign it's more effective well in a place
1: like downtown denver how often do you see a speed limit sign not very but you can't go very fast
0: It's that simple. Like drivers
1: can self-regulate in those types of environments. That's exactly what we're talking about. And raising speed limits up to the speed of
0: traffic can seem like surrendering to fast, unsafe driving, but it would actually accomplish the opposite. If advocates like McGee are right, following the 85th percentile rule would actually make roads safer, and it would also mean taking speed limits seriously. McGee says with higher speed limits, police officers would focus their resources on what really matters, like drunk drivers, people not wearing their seatbelts, drivers running red lights, and most importantly, the number of drivers who actually speed at an unreasonable rate, like you were talking about, going nearly 100 miles an hour. It seems counterintuitive, but it's a formula Americans should love. Raise the speed limits, and it would make roads safer. As I was reading uh, through part of that article from the Business Insider, I was thinking this 85% theory is is really good for the higher-speed roadways, like highways, interstates, or, or the multi-lane roads with speed limits, let's say, in the 50s or, or, or higher. But I do think that most drivers overestimate their ability to drive safely at the very fast speeds. But You know, they're going to do it anyway. Right. The one place I disagree with this theory, though, is in residential areas. Because drivers think it's safe to go fast in residential areas— But the risk to the pedestrians, and especially my kids, is way too high to allow those higher speeds. Like it's 25 miles an hour right in front of my house. I think that's way too fast to be able to stop because most people, they don't drive at 25. They feel comfortable going uh, going 30 or 35. And that's way too fast in front of my kids when they're playing there on the sidewalk. At least I think so. One of the main roads through Castle Pines, the speed limit is set at 35. I could comfortably go 40 or 45, but there are so many times that I see pedestrians trying to cross the road there or bike riders on the side in the bike lane, and and in my opinion, 45 is just too fast because I I don't mind being a turd bucket, so I follow that speed limit to the number, and I try to keep it at 35 or 34 the whole time, and what inevitably happens is 4 or 5 or 10 or 12, which is my current record, vehicles zip up behind me. And it ends up being a long, slow train of cars going in a long line right behind me because they all want to go faster and expect to be able to go 40 or 45 because that's what they think they can do. And I want to keep the speeds down closer to 35 because it's it's for the public safety. Mm-hmm. I, I have this strange urge now, maybe because I'm older and I'm a dad with a couple of girls, to make sure that everybody who drives in my neighborhood and in my community goes the speed limit and I feel like I have to be the special enforcer in charge of the speed limit, which I don't want to be, but I feel like it's my responsibility of, the, of a, as a citizen of the community to, to do that uh, because there's really not enough police that patrol that area. I've talked to city council about it, but there are just not enough uh there's not enough resources right that's the same excuse
1: that you always get anytime you bring a problem to city council is they say well we got to cut somewhere
0: i mean i don't want people going that fast in my neighborhood and you'll hear that it's the nimby it's not my backyard that kind of thing if they want to go fast they should have left sooner that's my theory if you're late that's not my problem that's your problem that's a you problem where you should have gone a little bit earlier not my fault you're going to be late the only way to get people to slow down in residential areas, really, is to create those traffic calming devices like traffic circles or raised crosswalks or narrow roads, ro- those sort of things. I've actually talked to, this, to two different city council people about that on Monarch. Um, they, Of course, they value my opinion on these sort of things, and they're looking to calm the traffic and slow it down on that because it is really busy, especially on the weekends. A lot of motorcyclists now are driving up there. It's the summertime. And so I think some of these calming traffic devices would really help slow down the traffic.
1: Please no more traffic circles, though. Everybody hates traffic circles. No, they don't. I love them. Uh, One person likes traffic circles. I
0: love the traffic. Hey, they're all over Europe. They're in the mountains. People love them.
1: (laughs) Didn't didn't we have an entire podcast about how Europeans are stupid? (laughs)
0: No, they're not stupid. They're great. How they're stupid. Yes, you can review all of our latest podcasts by going here... And looking all the way back into the history of this
1: show, Google Play, Apple, Stitcher, SoundCloud,
0: yes, and uh,
1: s- a Podbean soon, Spotify? Um, question mark. Spotify, Spotify. I can
0: ask him. Let's do it. Uh, I know we're on TuneIn, and you can just a- and you can just type in do the Google thing. Just type in driving your crazy podcast on the Google,
1: and uh, and it'll come up with something. You can just hit me up on Twitter, and I'll send you the podcast directly too. Yeah.
0: As traffic engineers design highways to accommodate faster speeds and car makers design cars to safely go faster and faster and tire makers put on tires that allow for the higher speeds, I could see speed limits on the highways going up even more than they are now. I mean, we could even see speed limits at 85, 90. Montana had the whatever's reasonable and prudent where you could safely go 100 miles an hour.
1: I I think people really are going to self-regulate themselves and they'll do what they're comfortable with. And most people, frankly, aren't comfortable going faster than 80, 85 miles an hour. You're right. But when, when autonomous cars are here, all of those things are going to be set explicitly to
0: drive the speed limit. I will guarantee that none of them will be programmed, and you probably can't pre-program, in, in, if you're driving in them, to go faster than the speed limit, right? So that means everybody's going to have to drive slower with autonomous cars.
1: Well, then you're going to have a Tim Allen type who decides he's going to give his car more power instead of just <laughs> yes. like an episode of Home Improvement, right?
0: That's exactly right. So, I don't know, in 20 years of uh, a time... When we have autonomous cars and nobody's actually doing the driving themselves, none of this will matter. A hill of beans. Yay!
1: Beans are gross, also.
0: What? How about beanie weenies? Never had the beanie weenies? We can move on. I'm good. Have you never had the beanie weenies? Be-
1: no, I'm not going. I'm not even doing
0: that. Right out of a can? No. They're delicious! No, they're not. Oh, they are so good. I haven't had beanie weenies in a long time. I might go buy King Supers right now and go get me a can, pop it open, microwave it in the studio. No, no microwave Freak everybody. Out. No, just go ahead and walk through the studio, walk through the newsroom with a can of Beanie Weenies and a spoon. <laughs> well, that's one way to end the podcast, Joseph. See you later. There you go. Until next time, I'm the traffic guy, Jason Luber. I am pedestrian advocate, Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.